So, what does a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer have in common? And no, it's not a joke. A soldier and a farmer and an athlete walk into a bar. It's not that. So what, what do a soldier and an athlete and a farmer have in common? We're going to talk about that today because we're going to continue in our study of 2 Timothy 2. And if you have been with us, you know that Paul, the apostle, is in prison. He's writing to Timothy, someone that he has mentored and trained And he's just said uh, that he's been abandoned. He's talked about that. And so he writes to Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he also encourages him to make disciples. He says, share the things that I've shared with you. You teach those. You entrust those to others. You entrust those to the um, faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And uh, then he gets three, he gives Timothy three pictures. And we're going to look at those three pictures today. So let's pray again and ask the Lord to show us from his word. Just ask the Lord to clear your mind from whatever might be distracting you so you can look at the word and receive what the Lord has for you this morning. Let me pray. Lord, there are some important lessons for us in these words of Paul today. And he even encourages Timothy to consider these things and that you will use them. So, Lord, I pray that as we consider these things, you would help each one of us understand this lesson because this has to do with our expectations of life. And it is critical for us to get this right. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us in our study this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, he says to us first, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Okay, so you're sitting next to somebody, talk to the person near you, what does that say to you? Like, what comes to mind as you think about a soldier? What are the reasons that Paul uses that picture to talk about what it means to follow Jesus? Just talk with the person next to you for a minute. Why a soldier? So what do you think? Shout it out. Whisper it out. You're talking, so I know you've got some ideas. Training. Okay. What else? Allegiance. What'd you say? Mission. There's a mission. Awesome. What else? 
Focus. Yeah. Yeah, see, this is a powerful picture because we know that soldiers, and he says a good soldier, you know, that there are, there are, restrict, there are qualities in life. So let me give you some of the things that I thought about. First of all, soldiers are under authority. Remember the centurion, you know, he knew about authority because he dealt with it when he talked to Jesus. Soldiers are under authority. They don't get to go where they want to. Their life is being determined by the authorities over them. They don't live it on their own terms. He says you don't, you don't do everything that everybody else does because your, your life is oriented under. And Paul really reflects this in his own writing because you know, there are times when he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus. You know, as a bondservant of Jesus, you're not just doing whatever you want. You are following the one who's your master, who's your leader. But I think there's some other things that we need to recognize in this picture because Paul uses military imagery more than once in his writings. And the other part of this is if there's a soldier, then that means there may be a conflict, which means we have an enemy. And, and we are a world at war. Whether we want to admit it or think about it that way or not, it's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And when we think like this, it's very important that we recognize that people are not our enemies. There may be people who don't like us and they may think of us as enemies, but they are not our enemies. They are victims of the real enemy. And we can't forget that. If you think about spiritual warfare, it is not something we do with physical weapons like guns, right? When you look at the spiritual armor that Paul talks about, it's truth and righteousness. And the, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it is a shield of faith. And the sword is the word of God. So when Paul evokes this image of us being under authority, and it evokes this military image, we have to remember where the real battle is. And the other part of this is suffering. He says, suffer with me. There's going to be hardship in a conflict. So there's a couple of uh, images that this, that, um, in our hymnology and in some other things that evoke this. So um, one of them is a, a, a hymn by Isaac Watts. It's on, the, it's on the left, on your left. And he starts this hymn with, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? This is how it continues. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. Paul is evoking this imagery because he's telling Timothy, it costs, join me in this suffering. 
But I couldn't help but think about another poetic expression, and this is from Shakespeare, and it's from uh, Henry V. It's a, it's a play that celebrates Henry V's battle in his life, and this scene is the, on St. Crispin's Day, which is the day before this incredible battle with the French. The, the English is significantly outnumbered, and the play... It, I don't, I would, I'd like to watch, like, I'd like to show you the whole speech because it's one of the best, you know, bat, pre-battle speeches ever. And you can go, you can go to YouTube, go to YouTube, search, uh, search Henry V, St. Crispin's Day speech, and Kenneth Branagh does an, an amazing job of this speech. But in it, he's saying, you know, that they're like, we should just give up or all that. And he talks to them about the fight ahead. And he said, if you want to quit, go. We don't want to die with you in our company because this is what we're going to do. And we are going to be remembered. And so he says, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. He who today sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. He's talking about, hey, we're all going to be brothers. The, the nobility, all the different kinds of things that separate the British, it's not going to matter. We are going to be brothers in this conflict. And, and they win. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, we few, remember he's been abandoned. He's saying, we few, we happy few. We band of brothers, join me in this fight. But that's not the only image we get. We get another one. So he says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he must not win the prize. He, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So, talk again. What do you learn from an athlete? What do you learn from athletes? Self-discipline. Yes. What else? Consistency. What else? I'm sorry. Say it again. Endurance. Thank you. Training. Desire. Yeah, there's a lot that, that we learn from the athlete. Paul uses this imagery, too, in some of his other writings. And, and yeah, there's a lot here in terms of preparation. So um, they need training. And, but what I love about this is, is this pictures for us the fact that you don't do in the moment without preparation. So... Um, if you think about the things that we talk about as in our walk with the Lord, there are things we do in private. Like if, if, if you never spend any time, we talk about spiritual exercises, if we never spend any time in his word, we don't have truth that grounds us. If we're not filled with that, we are, we are vulnerable to lies. We pray so that we have a connection with the Father's heart. If we don't talk to God, we we can easily get distant from him. There are things that we do in private to training, but athletes have a goal. They understand what they're competing for, and they work toward it. 
in all kinds of preparation. And athletes have to follow the rules. So I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Lance Armstrong, but an amazing cyclist who won seven French Tour de France's, and then it came out that he was cheating. He denied it until finally he had to admit it. And it was a massive cheating scandal. And what's interesting is this goes back to Paul's day as well. In the, in the Olympics of Paul's day, you had to commit to a course of training for 10 months before you could enter the competition. And that was because they wanted to guarantee that it would be high quality, like they wanted it to be worthwhile. And Imagine people would lie about that. Just, just think about it. So when he says athletes have to follow the rules, there was this context of which, hey, for us to compete, we have to follow the What are the rules that we abide by? Well, think about Jesus' commands. Things like love those that hate you. See, we can't let military imagery or we can't let the athletic competition make us think of people as disposable or unvaluable. We are called to love. We are called to make disciples. We are called to forgive. And I, I want you to to realize that when you watch a victory on the field, you don't see the hours of preparation that preceded the victory. We have to remember that. And if you look at Jesus' life, yes, he lived a perfect life. Yes, he was God in the flesh. But he modeled for us how humans live. He spent time with his disciples. He was in relationship. He was in community. But he also spent time alone with the Father. He, spent, he knew the word. He prayed. Those are all models for us. There is a private preparation for living the life that God wants you to live. There are things that you can only do alone with the word and with Jesus in your life. And then finally, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. So, talk for a minute about what you learn from a farmer. So what, do you, what, what, what does farming bring to mind? Optimism. Optimism. Like, because you wouldn't plant if you didn't think it was going to... Exactly. What else? God does the work. Yeah, God causes the growth. Yep. What did you say? Plan. You have to plan what you're going to do. Yes. You would know that, wouldn't you? Patience. Yeah. You have to tend it. Yeah, there's one of the things that I think about, and I'm not a farmer, but I know some. It, it's hard work. 
And it's not on your schedule either. Like there is a season for preparing the soil, right? There's a season for planting. So I had a friend, and I can't, I, I had a friend when I was um, coming out of college, and he actually lived in, I think it was Nebraska. And he told me that the harvest there, the fields and, you know, where they had planted were so huge. And then when there was a time to harvest, you had to do it. And so they had tractors that had lights and they would do it in the, all night long. And he said the fields were so long that you could start at one end of a row, you're going to harvest through the end, and you would go and you'd set it like on auto drive, fall asleep, go to the end. It was so long you could fall asleep, wake up at the end and turn it around and go back. You know, it's like, okay, but that's, you, you're not able to just say, okay, I'll get to it later. You have to do it in the right season. There's a whole discipline to farming, but there's a goal, and that's the harvest. And you and I can have a goal of harvest, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of disciples. There's purpose to farming. It's a struggle that has to go back to the garden, weeds, thorns and thistles. There's a struggle, but there's fruit, and that's what God provides. So here's one thing that I think is common to all of these. Paul is talking about hardship. And you've probably heard me say this before. But hardship is not optional. Like, I want to live a life, you know, no hardship, no difficulty. I want to check that box. It doesn't work, does it? We are going to have some kind of difficulty in this world. And the question is, what are we going to suffer for? Where's the hardship going to come from? Because there's lots of ways you can bring hardship into your life through sin. There's lots of ways you can bring hardship into your life for foolish choices. But Paul has told Timothy, be strong on the, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, I tried to help you see that, that, that this grace, or maybe it was last week, this grace is personal. Like Jesus' enablement is personal and it's good. He enables you to do good things. Grace doesn't give you the power to sin. It's not about doing evil. It's about doing good. And, and there's a course of your life that as you do this, God's grace will be with you. You're not just doing this on your own. Hardship isn't optional. The issue is where are you struggling and for what cause? So then Paul says simply this, and I mentioned this earlier this morning, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He says, here, here are three examples. Think of the soldier, think of the athlete, think of the farmer. There's all struggle for a purpose. And you and I are caught up in this same purpose. Every part of your life has the potential of demonstrating the goodness of God's kingdom. 
Every part of your life has the potential of manifesting the presence of Jesus. And does our world need that now more than ever? You and I, we experience difficulty um, all kinds. But you have to admit that our brothers and sisters in other places in the world are suffering persecution like we don't even imagine. And all of that, all of that, Jesus told us was going to happen. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. We need to expect it. That doesn't mean we go looking for it. You know, if we suffer as Christians, it ought to be for our goodness. It should not be for our being, let me just call it jerks. So from the soldier, we learn we're under authority. We learn we're in a war. We learn to endure hardships because of the cause we're caught up in. From the athlete, we learn we have to train and we've got to play by the rules. And from the farmer, we know there's hard work, there's perseverance needed, and we know there is a harvest. So I want to ask you, what's your calling? See, I, I, I run into this in the commentaries I was looking at this week. You run into this because this book is called one of Paul's pastoral letters. What does that evoke? Well, Timothy is the pastor of a church. So this was written for people like me and not for everybody else. And I would like to gently, okay, not gently. I would like to strongly disagree with that because Part of the reason I don't like that is when you think about missionaries and pastors as having a call, it means nobody else has a call, and that's just wrong. Paul says, live in a manner worthy of your calling. You have a call from God. You have good works God designed for you to do, and only you can do them. In the places where you are, you are an example, you are a representative of Jesus Christ in all the places you live, work, and play. There is something for you to do. Don't think of this call as being something like, I have to go some other country, or I have to be some kind of church leader. No, it has to do with where you are. So what kind of mom are you? What kind of dad are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? What kind of child are you? What kind of worker are you? What kind of neighbor are you? There's a call on your life. What does Jesus want you to do with the opportunities that you have? How does Jesus want to bless you to be a blessing where you are? And recognize this is not about how can I have more fun. It's about how can I be more purposeful in these contexts. Jesus will show you how. What's your preparation for that? You know, there's, there's a way to prepare to do things. The first time, you know, I don't run anymore, but the first time I ran a 5K, I used this little program on couch to 5K. It was like how you got off the couch and ran a 5K. And, you, you know, you walked some first. 
before you ran. So what's your preparation to be the kind of person you want to be in the places where you live and work? Are you persevering? Things don't happen overnight. They don't. And you're going to run into disappointment. And who is your band of brothers? Who are you doing this with? I want you to hear Paul say to Timothy, we few, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And then I want you to realize that in saying it to Timothy, he's saying it to you. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We have a cause. We have a purpose worth giving our lives to. Suffer with me as a good soldier. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Paul's words of encouragement. Thank you for his rising call to us to live intentionally, knowing what we're called to be about, that we might expect that harvest, that we might expect that reward, that we might expect that victory that you bring about in our lives because we've paid attention. Lord, help us to hear your voice and to follow your lead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.